So today, um, Mason just kind of said, hey, you can kind of preach on anything. And I was just like, well, I don't want to jump ahead on the sermon series. Got that covered for next week. But um, I wanted to um, speak from one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. It's from 1 Peter 5. And um, if this title had to have a message, it's called Be Humble, Sit Down. Be Humble, Sit Down. Somebody got my, somebody got my reference there. Someone's living in 2020 out here. So um, just a reference to a popular song, if you ever heard it before and stuff like that. But um, it, it's kind of a staple of my life. Um, in the Christian life, we've got to learn to be humble in our lives. Um, in submission to the church. Um, in our ways that we interact with non-believers, in our ways that we submit ourselves to Christ and his teachings because it's for the betterment of our lives. Um, it's for help us to be able to grow and to bring other people to believe, to understand who Jesus Christ is. And um, Peter is teaching right now. Um, it's a letter to Jews who were driven out of um, Jerusalem and they were in, you know, sparse places in Asia Minor. And he's encouraging them. He's letting them know you're going to endure suffering. The Christian life, you're going to have suffering in life. If you say, I commit to following God, there's going to be times in life that are hard. And I can't help but to think sometimes in America that we are more privileged than other countries in the, um, in the understanding of um, the access that we have to churches and Jesus Christ. And we're not as persecuted as other people for our religion. That's why we send missionaries to go overseas and to go and to talk about Christ because these are people who are persecuted. They don't have access to the Bible. They don't have access to teaching. And a lot of this, I think sometimes it's, it's like when we look at it, we're thinking about other people and other nations. But also we've got to remember we sometimes do suffer persecution. But let's put it into the, the perspective and the mindset of where we are and the privilege that we do have to come into a theater and a church on the west side and to meet with other believers without certain persecutions. That should humble us. That should really humble us into what God has done. But for us to use that as leverage to be able to speak and go out to other nations and other communities to give them the gospel. So I'm thankful that we are a church that says we send missionaries. We give of our time. We humble ourselves. We, we give of our resources to help other people. So Paul, Peter, I'm going to say this all day long. I want to keep calling him Paul. But Peter is writing this letter and he's encouraging them to continue to follow Christ. Um, I'm going to preface it a little bit with some stuff that's going on in chapter 4. So it will bring some understanding as to what's going on in chapter 5. Because in chapter 5, it's really going to talk about how the church as a whole conducts themselves during suffering. And how the elders and pastors conduct themselves. And then how individuals in the church conduct themselves. But in chapter 4... Peter is really encouraging the church with three main themes. He's saying he's encouraging them, the church, to continue to follow Christ. He's giving some end-time ethics, and he's also reminding them that Christian suffering brings the revelation of God and Christ's glory in all this. So he kind of speaks to it in, um, in, in Peter 4, and he's reminding them, he's saying, since Christ suffered in the flesh, equip yourselves also with the same resolve, because the one who suffered in the flesh has finished with sin. And in verse 2, he reminds us something that we kind of touched on last week. And it says, in order, to live the, um, in order to live the remaining time in your flesh, no longer for the human desires, but for God's will. And we were reminded last week that Peter, Paul was telling him, reminding him, and said, listen, you've died to sin. Don't go back to it. Don't go back to the old things. Don't go back to the old sins that held you captive. And Peter here is reminding the church that you're going to face suffering. You're going to face persecution. You're going to face times that are really hard in the Christian life. But don't go back to it. But equip yourself with the tools that God has given you. And he really reminds them to use the tools that have been given unto them. And he reminds them in verses 7 through 11. I'm not going to read it, but he tells them, it says, be disciplined in your prayer life. 
Be disciplined in your prayers for yourself and your prayers for other people. And he reminds them as the Christian, as Christians that we need to intensely love for one another and be hospitable to each other without complaint and to use our gifts to build up the church. And a lot of the time, this is just me sometimes when I look at it, I don't always see so much the suffering from maybe the outside world persecuting the church. But I see other churches that persecute the church. If I can just be honest for a minute, it may be other denominations, other peoples, people within the church that want to sit there and bring suffering to other Christian believers out of greed and hatred, out of jealousy and enviness. And Paul is reminding them, he's saying, hey, listen, we have got to be one body. We've got to care for each other. We've got to love it with another intensely. We've got to have compassion for each other because the world is going to bring suffering on us. But why should we do it internally? So he's reminding them of all these things of what we've got to do as the Christian body. And then at the end of chapter 4, he reminds them that Christian suffering brings the revelation of Jesus Christ and the glory that he had. And it reminds us in 12 through 19, he says, don't be surprised when these things happen. Don't be surprised when you're tested. Don't be surprised when someone comes against you. But use that as an opportunity to grow in the glory of God, knowing in the understanding that Jesus Christ came as a humble servant from heaven above to die on the cross and to teach us how to live. He humbly used that as an opportunity to teach us. So we should grow in that opportunity to know that suffering is not going to last for a lifetime, but God is going to be faithful enough. In due time, that's the hardest part sometimes for us to be patient. Not when I believe I should receive it, but in due time. He can relieve us from our suffering. And ultimately, the relief of the suffering is our heavenly reward that we receive. Without getting like too kind of crazy and prophetic and stuff like that, y'all going to be back and be like, Mason, like he was preaching prophetic stuff. And we ain't going to be doing all that today. But um, if you all want to go ahead and hop over to 1 Peter chapter 5. And we're going to go ahead and just start in verse 1 and kind of just break this down a little bit. Um, and I hope everyone is doing well. I know everyone's been sick for like the past two weeks. And everything like that. So I'm hoping nobody's sick and has any of that stuff like that. If we need to, we'll lay holy hands on you afterwards. Um, I've really been stuck on a verse that um, a pastor friend of mine um, told me from um, First Baptist Missionary Church. We went there for a sermon, and he was just talking about the, the understanding of prayer of the righteous person availeth much. And most people say, well, the least I can do is pray for you, but the most I can do is pray for you because I'm beseeching God on your behalf because I don't really have the power to do anything. But my Heavenly Father above really controls it. So really just kind of being, you know, this real big push on understanding the power that we have through prayer and the love that we have to encourage each other. So it says this in, in chapter 5 of 1 Peter 5 and 1. And I'm just going to read this and we're going to break it down a little bit. And the first four verses are really for the conduct of elders and pastors. So this would really kind of equate to our deacons, our leaders, and our pastors. And um, I really, I go back to this a lot and I read it for myself um, when I was younger, I was a very cocky, I was a very proud person. I have no issue with that. Lauren still knows this. I will try to fight somebody on the basketball court sometimes because I get a little excited and stuff like that. I'll like message our like Risen City team after a basketball game. I'm like, I didn't get into a fight. And they're like, yeah, you did it, pastor. So sometimes I got to look back and remember the example that I am as a minister now. And I got a story to tell you guys later on that's kind of funny about this and they'll tie it all together. But remembering as church leaders, how do we conduct ourselves when the church may be being persecuted and in suffering? And also, how do we lead our flock when people may be suffering? So it says in verse 1 and verse 2, and it says, Therefore, as a fellow elder and a witness to the suffering of the Messiah, 
Um, and also a participant in the glory um, about to be revealed, I exhort the elders among you, um, shepherds of the flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but freely according to God's will, not for money, but eagerly. And what he's saying in verse 1 is he's, he's giving the reminder that he said, listen, I walked with Jesus Christ. I saw the glory of Jesus Christ. I walked with him. I seen him on the Mount, on the Mount of Transfiguration. I seen him when he was taken in the garden and also seen him when he suffered. He's reminding them that I'm a witness to all these things. And he's giving kind of an authority to say, listen, I understand. I've seen these things. And I'm trying to give you guys biblical principles and teaching for the things that you're going to see down the line as elders and pastors. He's reminding them and said, I saw the Messiah suffer. I saw the Messiah do miracles. I saw the example of Jesus Christ and his sufferings. And he's reminding the church, listen, we are going to see ourselves in suffering. But he's reminding them of the humble nature in which Jesus Christ conducted himself during the suffering. This is Peter, the guy who chopped off someone's ear when he was in the garden. He was like, what you Chopped the dude's ear off. And what did Jesus Christ do? He healed the man. He's saying to them, listen. Jesus is knowing that he's going to be persecuted. He's knowing he's going to be sacrificed. And he knows it's for the greater good, but he still humbly submits to God's authority and the task that he was supposed to do. And in our lives as leaders and mentors, I can't base my own principles on how I conduct myself in the church based on the world. I've got to do it in the submission of God. And this is what Peter is saying. Hey, listen, as Christ was my witness, let me be a witness to you all of what, how, and the way that God wants us to conduct ourselves. And he's reminding them in verse 2, he's telling them, he's saying that as a shepherd of the flock among you all, said, not overseeing the flock, not feeling as though it's a duty or anything like that, not feeling as though I've got to push and gird, I'm leading you all with a humble nature. Um, it, it's hitting me more and more, like I didn't think it was going to be that big of a difference when I became a pastor until I started to realize, I said, God, you're, you're allowing me to lead people. And it humbled me a lot to be like, you all trust me to lead you, to guide you. And it encourages me more and more every single day to be like, God, let me conduct myself. Let me grow more and more to be like you. And even as individual Christians, you all are leading somebody somewhere. I tell this to my kids every single day. I'm like, you are leading somewhere to good or to wrong, right or to the left. Where are you leading the people who are following you to? What, is your, what are your actions conducting? Are you doing it out of duty or are you doing it out of selflessness, knowing that you are leading somebody to Jesus Christ? And he's reminding him and saying that they're doing it not out of compulsion, but freely according to God's will. And he's reminding them, he's saying that, that we've got to be the example to the flock and everybody that we do in verse 3. And in verse 2, he hits on something here. He says, not for money or not but eagerly. We're not doing it out of selfishness. Not leading a flock out of what I can gain or what I can really get out of this. So he's reminding us, and even in our natures and things like that, that we have got to lead our flock for the glory of God and to bring the people to the understanding of who Jesus Christ is. Not for money, not for gain, not for personal accolades, not to be put up on the big screen, because these are things of the world that most people strive to gain. But we're doing it for the glory of God and to lead people to Christ. And he says here in verse 3, he says, Not lording it over those who are entrusted to you, but to be an example to the flock. And then my sermon I had on here is that to be a leader, you're leading somebody and not driving that person. 
We, we don't want to. It's very easy sometimes in people in leadership. And when I was really younger, um, I had a problem with this. I, I was in leadership at a very young age. And I was 19 years old. I was an IT administrator. So what I did was I worked in IT. And if you don't know what it is, information technology. And I worked for a credit union. And I had a little, I had a little bit more authority than what I should have because I worked on computers. And I would go to my CEO's office and be like, he'd be like, my computer's not working. I'm like, you unplugged your mouth, you idiot. Like, I wouldn't say that to his face, but I wanted to say it. But I had a little bit more authority because I knew things that people couldn't do. And sometimes I, was, I, was, I shouldn't have lorded it over people and be like, oh, well, you need to fix this, needs to happen. That's kind of one of those young things that you do in your faith and in leadership. And he's reminding them, he's saying, listen, don't lord over people. Just listen, remember and know that God has put you in this place and be humble in the position that he has placed you in to lead people. And sometimes it's just a natural thing because it's a worldly thing for us to be in a position of power and authority and want to lord it over people because that's what the world wants us to do. You strive your whole life to get to the position of a supervisor. And what do you do? You kind of gloat around and walk like George Jefferson, like, yeah, get to work. What did I tell you to do? Those papers are late. You're fired. That's what we do. And the Lord glorifies people acting that way as a boss or a supervisor. But we are countercultural to that. The gospel doesn't say that's the way we lord over people. But you see that we humbly submit to God so then we are able to show people the humble nature of God and we can lead them to Christ. We can lead them to love. We can lead them to the understanding of who they truly are and the nature of God. But it means for us to be the example, even when nobody's looking. So I had the realest moment of my adult life and as a minister in my life. And I've told this to my undefeated kids and stuff like that. As a grown man, your pride's on the line when somebody approaches you sometimes. So I think it was, I don't even remember when it was. Maybe it was in September or August or something like that. Um, I was having a really awesome day. Like I was on sabbatical. I wasn't working like a whole lot. I was just chill mode. We was about to go to the beach. And this article came out in the paper. And it was about me, like about like the church and me and stuff like that. And I'm like, I told you, I, I, sometimes I struggle with being humble. I just be real with you guys. I felt like I was on cloud nine. I'm like walking around like, yeah, this article, cool. Yeah, it's got all these shares on Facebook. My mama liked it and all this stuff. Like, you, get, you get proud when your mama starts calling you about stuff. I'm like, yeah, mama, you know, you did it. Like, you get excited. I had a moment. I, I was proud of myself for a minute. I think I, I sh probably couldn't, should have been for a minute and stuff like that. But always, I asked God every single day, I said, God, keep me humble and, and purge my, my, my heart of pride. This is one of those things that I have to do. So I remember I had this great day. I'm at, I'm at the Exxon gas station. I'm like in street clothes. I miss hanging out because I didn't have to work that day. I had some Jordans on, some shorts and a shirt. You know, I'm just chill mode. And a friend of mine, there was something, I don't know, we were doing an event together. And a friend of mine came up to me and we shared something about the event. And his name wasn't like in it or on it or something like that. And he took it the wrong way as like I was, we were trying to steal his pride and stuff like that. So I'm just like, cool, we're trying to do this for the kids. We can make it happen. Okay, this is just a very street moment. Let's just be real for a minute, all right? So I'm talking, I'm at the Exxon. I'm talking to my friend, this and that. I see him, you know, he, pays, he posts something on Facebook. I'm like, I'm not going to confront you on Facebook. When I see you, I'll talk to you. That's the street side of me. I probably shouldn't have done that. I probably should have called him first, but I didn't. But that's the other wide. I learned from that situation. So I see him. I'm like, hey, what's going on, man? Like, you know, what, what's up? I saw you post something. He's just like, what's up, man? And then street lingo means when you walk to somebody and you put your arms down like this, it means it's about to go down. So we're sitting there at the Exxon, and it's like, you know, what's going on, man? What's up, what's up, man? I'm like, dude, what's wrong with you? We are grown men. I'm 31. You're like 35. What's happening right now? He's talking to me. He's like, why, why you not do this? Why we not do this? I'm like, you ain't, you ain't giving me no spotlight. You, you trying to take over my events and stuff like that. Hands are moving and shaking, and I immediately back up, and I'm like, oh, yeah, it's about to get real. Like, you know, in your adult life sometimes, you're just like, yeah, I'm waiting for this moment. Like, I shouldn't have done that because I had to remember I'm about to be a pastor in two weeks. 
not a good example. <laughs> on the day that this article came out about your church to get arrested for assault at the Exxon on the west side. <laughs> so I'd humble myself real quick and pull it right back for a second. I'm like, okay, let me, let me chill mode for a second. So when we're in it, you know, another person's there, like, you know, but the crazy part about it was, you know, somebody walked by and was like, hey, how you doing? I, said, I saw you in the paper. Everything stopped. And we were just like, yeah, hi, good to see you. Put arms around each other and stuff like that. Yeah, what's going on? I'm like, what's up, man? You want to go right now? Like, so like, I'm like, man, what is going on right now? So I'm sitting there thinking, even in my mind, I had it all plotted out. He like run up on me, put his arms down and pushed on me. That's when I was like, oh, it's getting real. You don't push somebody. Pushed up on me. So I was like, okay, here's what's about to happen. I'm like, he's bigger than me too. All right, he's way bigger than me. I'm scrawny. Lauren was like, you would have got your butt beat. I said, I would have got a couple licks in. All right. So I was like, I'm going to push off. I'm going to kick him in the chest real quick. I'm going to go one down and I'm going to curb stomp and I'm going to run to my car and I'm going to drive off like a pansy. <laughs> I knew what I was going to do. Then I was just going to be like, we're going to have to settle it on the monkey bars in two weeks from now. Like, when I remember, it was the most humbling moment of my life. And even in my mind, the background, the song, like, be humble, sit down, was playing in the background of my head and stuff like that. I remember in that moment, I said, all right, God. I, I, literally, I, I literally, I stepped back. And I literally, I just stopped and I prayed for two seconds. I said, God, you got to help me right now. I said, I don't want to do this. As much as my flesh wants me to act this way, I'm like, God, you've got to help me right now to think of how can I humble myself so I'm not a bad witness to you. Because right now I need you to be greater in me than the flesh that wants to do this right now. And I said, that was even an old nature from 10 years ago. And I'm like, I ain't even done this since way back in the day. Why would I want to do this now? And it really humbled me. I said, God, you got to humble my spirit right now. I said, you got to help me out right now to know how to handle the situation. So I just humbled myself and I said, listen, man, if I made a mistake in not giving you the glory, you're calling you out and doing all this stuff like that, my bad. I humbled myself. I made a mistake, man. I did it. I'll, I'll put it on blast. We'll make sure we do it again. We'll redo a video. We'll, re we'll redo the flyer. We'll redo it just to make sure that I give you the honor that you deserve. And I said those words, and he didn't know how to handle it. He was just like, man, I just, I just, I just ah! And he threw a cup and like ran off and like sped off. He had a big truck also. And I was like, I don't even know what just happened. So I'm like, I'm just like I, I called Lauren. I'm just like, Lauren, what in the world is going on? I'm like, I'm just trying to have a good day. I just don't even want to deal with this. But I got a call two hours later. Hey, man, sorry, I lost my head. I made a mistake. My bad. Shouldn't have done it. And I thought to myself, I said, that could have easily went the other way in a lot of different directions. If I hadn't thought to myself and prayed and said, God, humble me in this situation. We're not always going to face this global persecution as a Christian. But there are going to be people who attack you as an individual. And you're going to feel as though, man, you're really coming against me and what I believe in. And on a day-to-day -day basis, you're going to have these people in your life. And in that moment, I wasn't suffering this lifetime, but in that moment, I was suffering because I was like, I don't know what to do. And I'm, and I'm in my flesh right now. Sometimes on a day-to-day, -day, we've got to sit back and remember God wants us to be humble in our daily sufferings, in moments in our lives when we should say, let me humble myself instead of getting angry or upset or going after someone. Maybe I should put the cell phone down because I'm going to post something and say something I shouldn't do. Maybe I need to humble myself when my mom or my dad or my uncle or my aunt, this person's coming up against me because I'm representing Jesus Christ who humbled himself for the sake that all of us would not have to suffer the penalty of sin. And in that moment, what was really on my mind was, 
what's going to happen when I see my kids on Tuesday? It was the Tuesday night also. We had youth group that night. What's going to happen when I go to my kids and I'm telling them not to fight and to catch these hands? And I told them this guy caught some hands on the west side of the Exxon. So it's, it's, it's a greater thought of who are you leading? Who are you, who are you guiding? We are all guiding somebody in life. Is it your kids? Is, is it your friends? Is it the people, your peers around you? But it's the humble nature of saying, God, I need you to help me every single day as a leader to be that example, to help me out. We can't do it because our flesh is strong. Peter was saying that in, in chapter 4. He's reminding us it's human nature. And I've got to let you guys know as a leader, the struggles that you guys have, we also have. But we all have to attest and say, God is my strength to overcome these things. So that was just my, my hood story for a minute. I hadn't had like a hood story for 12 years. I just want to share that with you all. Um, but as we continue on, Peter is just talking and he's reminding them real quick. He, he's beckoning back to the eternal side of it all. He's telling them, he says, hey, listen. In verse 4 he says, and when be examples to the flock. And he says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading cloud crown of glory. And what he's reminding us is that when Jesus Christ comes, that humbling in your life that you did, the times that you sacrificed for other people, the suffering that you endured won't mean anything when you get the, the crown of glory that God has bestowed upon you at the end of it all. We all know that the verse, you know, well done, my good and faithful servant, that you lived a lifetime of this, that you lived humbly to be able to do so. And that's what we ultimately, we, we ascribe for we want that in life. Sometimes it's hard for us to see that in the span of eternity when somebody's trying to fight you at the Exxon. But when you put it into that perspective, it's I want to be able to say that years and years from now, God can be like, you remember that day at the Exxon? Yeah, Jesus, I remember it. Like, with myself. In that moment, you don't know who's watching or who was there, but it could be the moment that really changes and affects someone's life. It's the small things in life. So he continues on and Peter, he speaks from Proverbs 3 and 34 and he says, God resists the proud. And he said he gives grace to the humble. That grace that is given unto us to overcome our sin nature and our flesh nature when we choose to be humble was given and is given. And this is when it kind of starts to switch over a little bit when Peter starts to really teach about how the church individuals benefit from being humble towards each other. So it continues on in verse, um, verse, verse 5 here, and he says, In the ways you younger men be subject to your elders, and you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God resists the proud, and, but he gives grace to the humble. And I always thought this was funny because, like, Mason's younger than me. And I'm, like, you know, older. So when we came into ministry, I wanted to be like, respect your elders. But I had to, like, kind of roll reverse that a little bit. And in the sense of this, it's not saying in age, but it's saying in, in spiritual responsibility and in ministry and stuff like that. I think he said it the best in, um, in my ordination service. He, he said it, and I couldn't help but laugh. He said, you know how hard it is for a grown man to submit to a 22-year-old? Y'all, it's hard. I'm just going to be real with y'all for a minute. <laughs> but... The understanding that you're submitting to God's biblical authority to those who he has placed in those places ultimately helps me to grow spiritually. I don't care to say that I needed a humble leader like Mason to teach me how to teach and to preach and to lead a church. I needed that. We all need that in life. But then he, he teaches and he continues on. He tells us, he says, so, so he, he says that and he continues on. He says, so that all of you will clothe yourself with humility towards one another. That means that it's a cycle. 
That means that young people in faith and ministry should submit to the, their elders. And if the elders are submitting to the biblical principles and keeping themselves humble to shepherd their flock, then it works in a circular way in motion that the flock leader is submitting himself and serving the church. Not pushing them, not girding them, but he is leading them humbly, understanding that. So then it should be that as a young person in ministry or as a young person in the church, I submit then to my elder and my leader. And it's the same way with the world in Jesus Christ. As Jesus Christ humbly submitted himself to serve us, it gives us the motivation and the knowledge that he cares for our best well-being. So I submit myself to him in this way that this works. And we've seen this not work in churches before. That's why Peter is telling us, he's saying, listen, you're going to have times of suffering. You're going to have times when the church is in disarray. It's going to be hard. It's going to feel like things are chaotic. But he's reminding us to submit to the biblical authority of our elders and our teachers and our preachers. So we don't bring dismay internally with the church. But we are able to bring stability as we continue to teach each other and as we continue to learn with each other. I can attest and say, if we hadn't done that with our church, we wouldn't be here right now. But I'm thankful that we had leaders and elders and deacons to say, let's all submit to this together and learn and to grow from each other. Because God has given grace to those who are humble. And the grace that we can see is what we have set before us and the ministries that we're doing here in Charleston. And the love and the hope that we have to see everybody. So this is my favorite verse in the Bible. Verse 6 here. I literally probably say this every single day. It says, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time. And then I love verse 7. I didn't really catch on to verse 7 until about a year ago. Sometimes I skip over this portion where it says, cast all your cares on him because he cares about you. And I tell this to, um, I work with a lot of young people who are about like, going into administration and I like secretly I kind of disciple them in so I can hire them for stuff and to give them more roles. But I tell them all the time, I'm like, listen, you got to humble yourselves in life. You, you got to be able to do the grunt work in life. We all do it in, 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 in the secular world when you're like the male guy and then you kind of get promotions up. You've got to humble yourself. And what kills me sometimes is that we're willing to humble ourselves for worldly positions, but we're not able to do it in the church. Sometimes, ultimately, we always want to be up here and be on the platform and be on the pedestal, be the guy preaching and teaching and singing, but we're not willing to submit ourselves to be humble for the time and the process that God has for us. One of my old mentors, Bobby Limley, he said, there's a process to the promise. Are you willing to be patient during that time so you can receive the promise that God has for you? We talk about great biblical leaders. We talk about how, how Moses submitted himself for 40 years in the wilderness. We talk about how King David knew he was supposed to be anointed as the king and the suffering that he had running away from the king that was currently there. But he submitted himself to what God wanted him to do. He humbled himself before the mighty hand of God who sustained him, who taught him and helped him during that time, during that suffering. So he then was equipped and prepared for the role that God had for him. Church, are we willing to take the time to humble ourselves and to submit to the biblical leadership, even if it's in the world, to say, I'm in this job and I don't feel like I know what I'm doing, but I know, God, you have a process and a plan for me. I tell people, I said, I worked in seven years in banking and finance in a job that I hated to the point where my boss, who was an atheist, told me, I think you're more suited to work with kids in ministry. And I said, God, I know this isn't your time yet, but when you present the opportunity, I'll be prepared and ready for it. 
Are we willing to do so as the church and as individuals for the glory of God so we are prepared for when God puts us in that position in that place? Are we willing to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God to see his glory go forth in our city? Sometimes I get excited about things, and I, and I have to tell people, um, we live on the west side, I love what we're doing, and I tell people, I said, we've seen a lot of progress, we've seen a lot of good things happen, but there are people from the outside, they're like, well, I saw this, and I saw that, and I'm like, listen, it's a process, we're getting there. Are you willing to submit also in this process and be a part of what we're doing as opposed to coming against what we're doing? Are you willing to submit also in this process, and I, I, mean, I tell the story all the time, Lauren is my wife, she's like the greatest person in the world, like, you know, she's like up here, and I'm like here, like looks, we're on the level part, I'm just saying we both look good, but like in life and stuff like that, because when I got into after school and stuff like this, she was already an executive director, and I was like, I'm a mentor, like that means like you're low level making minimum wage, I didn't know anything about after school, but it was the thought of like, you know, she bought a house on the west side, we're living on the west side, we had these goals and things like that, and I had I, like, I lived my whole life out of these situations and where it was. And I said, I've got to live here. We want to do this. And I remember telling the story about how I didn't want to live on the west side. I was like, I don't want to live in the hood. I lived my whole life to get out of the hood. And then you brought me back in here. This isn't playtime. This is real life. I don't want to do this no more. And she was just so humbly to be like, how can you make and be a positive change unless you're in the city, unless you're in the midst of it, unless you're going to be a part of it? And I was just like, how humble are you to say that? Because I didn't want to do it. <laughs> but trusting the process to say Let's humbly be here. Let's humbly do this because I can say now that I've seen great things and great works come from our community and neighborhood because we were willing to humbly submit during that process and time, even when it may have been discomforted. That's what we have to do. We have to have leaders in life to do that, but also as the church to do so. And while we are living in that place of being humbled and being submissive to God and, and, and maybe some sufferings, maybe some discomfort, that's growth time. Um, I'm probably the most uncompassionate person to people when they come to talk to me about suffering. I'm like, you're a pansy, get over it. There's people in Africa who don't even got eggs to eat. You talking about I can't eat a vegan salad. I'm like, get that mess out of my face. I'm not good at it. I'm just being very honest with you all just because of my background. But God has humbled me to be able to say, give grace to other people for different situations because I don't know where they've came from and people have given me grace also. So when it all, I've got to remind people through it all, through your suffering, remembering verse 7, cast your cares onto the Lord because he cares for you. He doesn't just like, oh, you're going through suffering. Oh, that's, that's great. Just deal with it and stuff like that, like I would do. He says, listen, I care about you. Even in the midst of all this, I'm still a providential God who provides for you, who cares for you, who's listening to your prayers. I'm still here to be like, I know you're going through a time of testing and tribulation, but I'm still here for you. And are you willing enough then through that trials and those tribulations to humble yourself to say, God, I can't do this on my own, but I need you. Even in our Christian lives and even in the, the, the areas that we, we have a lot of privilege. And even myself, I say that. I say this all the time. I say our Charleston kids have more privilege than our rural kids because of the resources they have. Do you then can even look at even in the midst of your suffering and saying, what privileges do I have? And I say, God, thank you for that. But I can still cast my cares upon you because I know that you're listening. And I know that you know what's going on. And I know that you don't forsake me. And I read this earlier in the confession. And it said that it takes humility, however, to recognize that God cares for you and to admit that you need and to let others know in God's family that you need help. 
That's humbling. Sometimes we think that the struggles caused by our own sin or foolishness and, this, and our own things are foolishness and this is our not God's concern. But when we turn to God in repentance, he will bear the weight even of those struggles. Letting God have our anxieties calls for action, not passivity. It says don't submit to the circumstances, but to the Lord who controls the circumstances. We have to humble ourselves to be like, God, I can't control this. I think somebody said the best way is it's like, God, I can't be you, so I might as well trust you. And if I can trust you with the little things in life, I can trust you with the big things in life. If I can trust you in the moments of my suffering and the little things, can I also trust you in the moments of the big things and to continue to build that relationship with God? And he reminds them of that by saying, cast your cares to God. Build your prayer life. Make confession a part of your life, not just on a Sunday when we come in here and we read it, but make it a part of your natural rhythm of life to lay these things down to God. Because we also saw this with Jesus Christ and his prayer life to God. He gave his concerns. In the midst of his suffering, he's saying, God, if this, if this cup can pass me, let it be. But if not, I'll drink of the cup of suffering. In the midst of knowing that he was going to take the cross, Jesus Christ still humbled himself to say, I've got to submit my cares to God because I know he cares for me. So should we not do the same things as Christians in our frail fleshly bodies? If Jesus Christ is doing that, should we not also do the same as the example that he is for us? So he continues on. And I love, I just love Peter and all he, he ends with this. He's reminding us, he's saying, listen, the enemy is prowling. The enemy is out there. But guess what? God will still renew us through it all in verses 8 through 11. And he says this, be serious, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone that he can devour. Resist him and be firm in your faith, knowing that the same sufferings are to be experienced by fellow believers throughout the world. And that speaks to why we go and do we do missionary trips. We, we sometimes can kind of get caught up on ourselves, right? Like, oh, my God, Susie said I was ratchet at work. I can't do it. Like, you feel like you're suffering some real big things in life. Or so-and-so says something to me and said I wasn't a real Christian because I wasn't fasting and doing the Daniel fast in January. Ah, you feel like these, these sufferings and these pains and stuff like that. He's reminding us, listen, there's a bigger perspective of the big church, big letter C, that there are people in the world around us who are suffering worse than us. There are people in the world around us who don't have the word of God in a Bible. They, they don't have anything. I think, I think Mason told a story one time about how these missionaries, I think they were in India or somewhere, maybe Kenny told, and they said all they had was a couple of pages from the book of Matthew. And they would just read it over and study over. And then they brought them to him and said, can, can, you, can you teach us this? And they were just so eager for someone just to teach them about and just teach them about this. And it wasn't like a learned biblical scholar. This was somebody that they said, can you just teach me about the word because you have a Bible and we're being persecuted. We have to go into caves to be able to read the word because they're persecuting people of religious faith and they're suffering also. Peter's reminding us of the suffering as the church as a whole. He's reminding us to care about our brothers and sisters. And I can't help but to go back to chapter 4 when he's reminding us to live in a place that we be serious and disciplined prayer for ourselves and our brothers and sisters. To love one another with serious love because love covers a multitude of sin for all of our brothers and sisters around us. But also that 
We're beseeching on behalf of God for them for the suffering that they're really having in life. Because as Peter would know this, that he was going to be martyred. He saw the sufferings of Jesus Christ, so he was able to then say that in my sufferings and being sacrificed and being on the cross, I've seen what Christ has done. So then it does give me power to say in my sufferings I can be glorified in him because I then understand what he did for the sake of the church. The sufferings that we have of this day are minor. The sufferings that we have on a day-to-day life are to equip us to make us stronger. But I hope that in our mindsets that we say when we go through a struggle, it's helping us to understand who Jesus Christ is more and more every single day because we submit to his biblical authority. And in that submission, we humble ourselves and we cast our cares to God and we build our relationship with God. And we learn to be disciplined in our prayers and we learn to love one another, not for my glory, but for his glory and for the glory of the church. And then he reminds us here in verse 9, he says, Resist him, the devil, and be firm in your faith, knowing that the same sufferings are being experienced for our fellow believers throughout the world. And in verse 10 he says, and if the band wants to come up and go ahead and take communion, it says, Now the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will personally restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little. So he's reminding us, he's saying, hey, listen, you're going to suffer these things in life. You're going to have these issues. The devil is going to try to come up against you. He wants to take you down. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to take you away from the relationship you have with God. This isn't like, you know, oh, it's like the big red air devil. He's saying, listen, this is real. The enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But he's reminding us that God himself cares about our suffering. And in due time, he will personally restore us. We're going to go through moments in life where we feel as though, man, what is going on? What is happening? Why are all these things coming up against me? But it's a remembering that during that time of suffering to humble yourself and to grow closer to God and to remember that through the suffering you were growing in the same suffering that Jesus Christ had and to draw closer to him and to become more like him and to take that time of suffering as testing so you can be more like him and to understand the glory that he had for his father to be glorified through his suffering in our lives. But he is reminded that God himself will restore and establish and strengthen and support us after our suffering. That suffering, that restoration may happen here on earth, but ultimately speaking to the prophetic nature that at the end times when this all happens, when Jesus comes back, the restoration is the understanding that he is a returning king and he will reign triumphant over every issue of this world. And that motivates me to know that the sufferings of this world are temporary, but Jesus Christ has the strength and the power and the authority that at the end times he is going to come and help us and he's going to restore us when we go to heaven. Amen, church? Amen. And he just princes off in verse 11, he says, and the dominion and it belongs to him forever and amen. So churches, I hope that it's some encouragement that life isn't always easy. But life isn't always hard. But the exciting part about that is that I remember living in the world and living away from God. And when I had issues and struggles that I didn't have it with Jesus Christ. And life was harder then because I didn't have anyone to cast my cares upon. Except for Facebook, Twitter, MySpace, and my friends and everybody else who would have a listening ear. But those weren't people who could ultimately help me in my struggles or fix my struggles. 
We have access to Jesus Christ through the sacrifice of the cross. So when you feel as though you're alone in your burden, remember the king who loves and cares for you. Remember the love and the king who sacrificed himself for us. Remember that he cares for us, but remember that we have to humble ourselves as we grow to be more and more like Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So as we're remembering the humbling and the suffering of Jesus Christ, we take our communion, and we do this every other week in remembrance of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And what we want to do is that we want to let you guys know that the communion table is for believers, baptized believers. So we ask if you're not a baptized believer, you can come up, you can look, you can walk, and you can see what we're doing. But this is something that we do in remembrance of the sacrifice that we have through Jesus Christ and the salvation that we have received through him. So as we take our time, what we'll do is um, we'll dismiss you all up and we'll come and take of the, the elements together. But as you remember the blood that was spilled for us, and the body that was given for us. Remember the sacrifice that he had for us so we can have eternal life. So we'll go ahead and let you all be dismissed as you can come on up for communion.